Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. This week has been, as you can imagine, because the whole world changed since we studied Torah together last. The entire world for us as Jews changed. So um, it's not been an easy week. It's been a week of hell, but there's been a, it's been a week of, um, I don't know about y'all, uh, an incredibly difficult week to focus on anything other than the immediate what's in front of us, the next piece of news, the next uh, piece of action we need to take, the next whatever. So um, we, it's been a hard week to focus. And so it, it was no different in terms of preparing Torah study. And I'm, I, I said to Judy on the phone that I, I'm sorry that it, that, it, that it's the week of Brayshit that I can't focus because I love this Parsha so much. I love this Parsha so much, but I can't teach Torah from a place that is somehow separate from what's happening. That's not what we do here. What we do in this room is we connect Torah learning to what's happening to us in such a way that, that it is healing and helpful for us, even as it sometimes challenges us in difficult ways. So, so I was gonna do something that I'm not gonna do, but, um, I made a source sheet based on what I felt I could teach with integrity and authenticity this week, uh, in looking at Parshat Brashit. So of course, Brashit, um, is the story of creation. Um, people get confused a lot when, when talking about this creation narrative, because what they think is this is how the Israelites understood the world to be created. It's not true. This is cosmology from a mythic standpoint. Now, the Israelites didn't have any idea how the world was created. They had a story that they told, and that story contained some of the truths that early Israel felt were embedded in the universe as created by a loving God. Okay. That's all. It's a story to talk about the nature of reality. It's not a story about how the cosmos came into existence. Right. Um, and so I think it gets read sometimes as, wait a minute, that's not science. We know that's not what happened. That's not the point of sacred mythology. Sacred mythology is about teaching us Something about where people, a people finds meaning and what that meaning is. Um, and so, um, I do have a piece, if we have time, I'll get to it about, um, uh, from the Institute for Jewish Spirituality that talks about creation one and creation two, the two creation narratives, one as being incredibly orderly and one as being kind of a, um, try and fail story of creation. So one represents order and the other represents the messiness of creation and they are both there they are both here in the scroll on the same piece of parchment creation story number one and creation story number two so what does that tell you it means neither one of those could be taken literally even by the israelites because they're they contradict each other and they're on the same scroll so they understand that there are different traditions, there are different stories, right? But what this teaching from IJS talks about is, so the world, we, human society, everything has an order to it, and there is an incredibly inherent messiness and chaotic element to life. 
and to human civilization and to creation. Um, and we have both of them together because that's, that's the truth, right? Is that both, both are there and both are present. And how do we lean into the one? And, th- and it was written before the events of last Saturday, this commentary, because I got it a, a week and a half ago. So they wrote it before before that even. So this, well, that isn't like a time for you know teaching about how, how how do we embrace, you know, how do we lean into order when everything feels completely chaotic? We're picking up after the human beings have been created. You, in Genesis one, they are created zahar v'nekeva. They are created male and female together. Bara otam, God created them. Zachar unekeva bara otam, male and female, God created them. Probably the the tradition is really looking at it as an androgynous being, because you have to harmonize that with Genesis two, which says that Adam is created before there's any vegetation or anything and placed in a garden, and then Chava Eve is is right taken from his side. Because there's a flaw found in the Adam, in the earth. Everything in Eden is perfect, except Adam. Everything is perfect. By God sees it and it is good. But not perfect. It is good. It is everything is beautiful. The only thing God has to tinker with in paradise is Adam, the earthling. There's a flaw. Something's wrong. What's wrong? He's alone. He's alone. He's alone. Loneliness is the only problem in Eden. It is the only thing. There's messiness in life. There's death. There's whatever. But the only thing that has to be fixed is human loneliness. That is a problem. Basic enough that God is like, "Uh uh-oh. We need to do something, right? And so God takes from Adam's side and creates Chava to be an Ezer, to be someone who can help him out, who can help our earthling out. An Ozer Kenegdo, a help meet, whatever they put in the horrible translation, an Ezer Kenegdo over and against him. This is how Torah talks about it. So in either it's Zachar Atam, Genesis 1, God creates male and female together, or God creates the earthling, and there's a problem with the earthling, and so God has to fix it. And so God creates Chava, God creates woman. Notice woman is the only thing created from something already alive in Genesis 2. He becomes Ha'adam, the earthling, now is called by Torah Ha'ish, the male, the, the man, the man, the person, and she's called Isha, feminine of Ish. So it's the same word. One is masculine, one is feminine. They are, it's the same terminology, right? Okay. So, so what happens not long after, right? We have two of them. We have the following. The Nachash, the serpent, was the most Arum. What is Arum? One interpretation of Arum is naked. Remember, they realize they are Arum. They are naked. 
But that's not what this means about the Nachash, because the other interpretation of Arum is wise, wily. Hmm. Wily and wise are connected. Say, say it again. Wily and wise. Well, it meaning smart. What we have lots of English words for what Arum might mean here. Clever, smart, wily, right? So this is not wisdom. This is although although in traditions predating ancient Israel, what is the serpent? Anybody know? Hmm? The serpent is it's clever and wily. Clever and wily, but what does the serpent represent in other in other ancient Near Eastern traditions? The goddess. The goddess. Whoever said it at home gets points. Emelinda, because she knows this stuff, right? The serpent is the creatress, the creatrix, the mother of all creation. If you have a people that is asserting for the first time patriarchy, like a real patriarchy with the God business, then what has to happen to the creatrix? It's going to go well for the serpent. Right. If you have a story that is going to supplant the earlier stories where the serpent is the creatress, then it's not going to go well for the serpent in the new patriarchal narrative, is it? It can't. The patriarchal God has to win and has to be most powerful. So that is why it is a nahash, because it is an agenda of the writers of this material to to bring forth a patriarchal understanding of divinity. All right, so that's why it's a nachash. So we have the nachash that is more smart than crafty, shrewd, it says here, than than all of the other animals. Asher asa Adonai, that God had made. Adonai Elohim. God is called Yorevafe Elohim in 2, the second narrative, and chapter 3. By Yomer El Isha, and it said to the woman, um, is it, it's hard to translate off here, but something like, so, you know, like God said, you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden. Who did God say that to? Who did God talk about eating in trees to? No. No. Adam. 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 So how does Eve know anything? About what they're supposed to do and not do. Maybe Adam told her. She's what? She's a woman. She's a woman, so she just knows. Okay, love that. Um, what? She reads the room. Okay. The only way Chava knows anything in this straightforward narrative is from Adam. It's what Adam tells her God said. The Nachash knows this. The Nachash was there. So the Nachash is using the situation to manipulate Chava, right? Now, remember, this is before they know the difference between good and bad. Good and bad. So the Nachash says, so is it true that God said, essentially, you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And the woman says to the Nachash, from the, from the fruit of the, of the garden, we can eat. Umi priha eats, but from the fruit of the tree betochagan in the center of the garden, Amar Elohim lotoflu. God said, y'all can't eat mimenu from it. Velotik ubo pentamutun, and you can't touch it, lest you die. 
Vayomer Hanachash El Aisha Lo Mut Tamutin. The Nachash says to the woman, "You won't die." Ki Yodea Elohim. What's really going on here? Says the Nachash. Ki Biyom Achalchem Mimenu. The day you all eat from it. This beautiful word, this verb in Hebrew, only used only for eyes, your eyes will be opened. It's a different word from opening anything else. Y'all's eyes will be open. You'll be like God. Knowing, understanding, comprehending good and bad. Now, does Chava have any idea what good and bad is? What, 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 what does she know? She knows the Hanachash is saying, you're not going to die when you eat the fruit. What's going to happen is you're going to become like God. It says it, right? Your eyes will be, God knows the day you eat from it, you will be, you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. Is the snake telling the truth or is the snake lying? Snake telling the truth, Julie Silver says. Snake is telling the truth. The Nahash is not lying. This is not a story about tricking through not telling the truth. The story is truth can be manipulated in a way that gets us to do something, right? And ain't that the truth? We've never seen that. We've never seen that. We're not seeing that anywhere. Um, on social media or in the news, right? Taking the truth, taking the facts. And believe me, we've seen a lot of alternative facts. That is not what's going on right now in, in my humble estimation and experience. It's the same facts. They're being used in a way with an agenda, right? To get people to behave a certain way. That is what is happening with the Nahash. The Nahash is telling the truth. Nowhere is there evidence that they weren't mortal already. There is no evidence in our story that Adam and Chava were immortal. There's evidence against that. That we have, if maybe. Okay. So God knows you're going to be like God, knowing the difference between good and bad. And this, the woman sees that the tree is good for eating. Right? And it's a delight, la'inayim, to the eyes. And it's, it's a wonderful thing, this tree. Lahaskil, to think about. But tikach mi priyo, and she took from its fruit, batocha, and she ate. Vatikten gam isha ima vayocha. So, and she gave it also, here's a play on words, la'ish. There's a dagesh in this hay. It's, you could read it without vowels as she gave it to the woman. Well, that makes no sense. For some of us, it's a lovely read, though. Chava <laughs> gave it to the woman who was with her in the garden. Adam's, like, sleeping or doing whatever he's doing. <laughs> but there is a dagesh in this hay, which means it's a possessive hay. She gave it to her ish. Ish. She gave it to her ish that was with her by Yochal, and he ate. Do we see any conversation between Adam and Adam and Chava? She hands it to him. He eats it. The Nachash had to have a whole conversation with Eve, right? About 
eating this thing and why and blah, blah. And this is the truth, blah, 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 blah. She thinks about it. She reflects on it, right? Then she makes a decision. She gives it to her guy (laughs) and he eats. What he was the one who was told by God not to eat it. Not fun. He doesn't even stop and say, but wait a minute. He just does what she wants. Not fun. Where have I heard that before? (laughs) (laughs) He wants to live in peace in the garden. So he does what she says. Did you hear that word? <laughs> right? Smart. And that way he was wise. So, um, all right. So this, the Nahash is telling the truth. What did, what did Chava say? We're not allowed to eat from the tree, Betoch Hagan, in the middle of the garden, nor are we allowed to touch it. Did God say that? No. The field's guessing no. God did not say that. So either Adam is a little confused. Or he's gonna mansplain. Not only can't we eat that fruit, but you 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 can't, can't touch that tree. <laughs> so in adding to the commandment, Adam kind of sets up a disaster. If you read this as a disaster, I do not. <clears throat> the disaster comes later. All right, so. Um, and again, this beautiful verb, their eyes were indeed opened. And they realized they were a room. What does a room mean? Thank you. I leave it to you to decide what this means. There is no way it is coincidental or accidental that the word a room is used for both. There's no way it's an accident that this could have, they could have said a lot of things about the Nahash, about it being wise or smart or whatever, and not use a room. This is a gorgeous play by the author on words. The two of them ate, their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were, I think you can read it both ways. Like the snake. I think they realized they are like God and like the snake. They are wise now. They are shrewd. They have a level of intelligence now, awareness now, that they did not have before. That awareness includes, this is my, this is my drash based on many, 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 many sources. For me, this, the reason a room is used both of the Nahash and here as naked, their new knowledge, their new awareness makes them vulnerable. They now are aware in a way they were not. When we are toddlers running around, we are sentient beings, but we are unaware. We are not, we don't know we're vulnerable. Does Emily Maple jump off a bunch of stuff? She, well, she seems a pretty cautious kid, but like, like this, he says. So Emily Maple is going to do what Emily Maple is called to do by whatever she wants to do because she's not aware of how vulnerable she is. That, for me, is why naked is used here. It's about vulnerability. They're exposed. That doesn't happen until they are a room, till they are aware. Thank you. I love that in that translation, Sarah. Until they are aware, they can't know they're vulnerable. So this is gorgeous wordplay that everyone in the world knows. They read the story in English. <clears throat> What's the root that you read? Aleph Reish Mem. Aleph Reish Mem. 
food is naked. Na- naked and, and aware. And, all, naked all, and, awake. and awake. Naked and awake. As opposed to naked and afraid. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. All right. Um, so. And possibly right. This Now they are not just earthling. They are ish and isha. They are human beings. They are sentient in a different way. And they heard the voice of Adonai Elohim walking around. <laughs> um, a walking. Right? God's a walking bagan in the garden. The time when the breeze picks up. The ruach, the wind picks up. What else does ruach mean? Spirit. It's not on purpose. At that time of the day when the spirit picks up, when wind picks up, and they they hid themselves. They hid themselves from the face of God. Amid the tree of the garden. Vaikra Adonai Elohim El Adam. This is where we're going to focus. And God calls to the earthling, Vayomerlo, and says to him, Ayeka, where are you? Is it possible that God does not know where the earthling is? <laughs> what is going on down there? When mom asks that, <laughs> where are y'all? What are y'all doing? It is not a question that is seeking information about the situation. It is a question that suggests you might want to reflect before I get there <laughs> on what's just happened, right? When I get down there, it better be cleaned up, picked up, put back together, super glued, right? Whatever. And y'all better figure out your story before I get there. Isn't there also a metaphorical meaning of like, where are you? Let's go. This is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to stay. We're going to stay with Ayeka. Okay. Ayeka, where are you? We're going to stay there as soon as we finish this. So, and what does Adam answer? I heard your voice in the garden, va'ira, and I was frightened or in awe. You can translate it however you want. Ki erom anochi ve'echave, because I am naked, awake, aware, right? Whatever, and I hid. It cannot mean literally nude. Why? What did they do? You remember what they did? <laughs> mm-hmm. God says, who told you that you're naked? Who told you you have, you know, a, a, a new awareness? Did did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? <laughs> he 
He says, the woman that you gave me, that you gave me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. It's not my fault. Adonai Elohim la'isha. So God says to the isha, mazot asit, what is this you've done? Vatomer ha'isha. And the woman says, the woman says, the nachash tricked me, enticed me, and I ate. For much of the rabbinic tradition, this is the reason they are banished from the garden. This is the sin. They wouldn't take take responsibility. Not only did they not take responsibility, what was their first response? Blame. Blame somebody else. That is their first reaction. Some understand this, as do I, as a test. God is testing out what have they become. What is they? We've never had humans, and we've never had humans who've eaten from the tree. So God is testing what's happened with these two, right? What are they now? And so God says, did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? The first thing Adam does is blame Chava. When Chava's asked, what did, is this true? Like, is this, what have you done? The first thing she does is blame the Nachash. So what God learns is that they are unwilling to take responsibility and they are immediately blaming somebody else. That's what a room has come to mean for the human being. They have wisdom. They are awake and aware. However, that wisdom did not show up. It didn't manifest. You know how you have genes that aren't turned on, but they're in there? Right. And both your biology and your environment turn on some genes and turn them off. God realizes, yeah, they have this new awareness, but what did not get turned on was accountability. That wasn't part of whatever came in that fruit that they ate. It's not turning on. Right. It it didn't, it didn't, that switch didn't flip. It is then that God decides to banish them from the garden. How do, and here I'm going to give you the proof that there's no reason to believe that they were immortal. God says, here, the human has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. We're not going to go there to the plural. So now, lest he, meaning the earthling, send forth his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live throughout the ages, God sent them away from the garden. So being sent out of the garden is not, is not the punishment or the consequence. It is the way that God can prevent the human beings from becoming immortal. They don't deserve immortality given that they cannot take responsibility. Maybe they'll figure it out. What do you think? Have we figured it out? No. <laughs> no being can live forever. No being deserves to live forever that cannot take responsibility. And it looks to blame 
immediately blame somebody else for their own actions. Have they just said, yes, we ate. And wow, we need to have a shiur together, God, because now we understand so much more. Feed us. Give us data. Feed us. Possibly they could have eaten from the tree of life and lived forever. But the tree of hmm, knowing, knowing, that's the tree they chose, not the tree of life. Rabbi Tamar Applebaum in Israel said to us, that was their mistake. That was their mistake. Eating from the pretty tree. It's going to give me something that I really want, right? To be whatever, rather than eating from the tree of life. And this is the mistake we make over and over and over again. We acquire. We eat in order to acquire. We consume and consume and consume to get and to have when we could have eaten from the tree of life. And we make this choice over and over and over. All right. So the snake was telling the truth. They did not die there. They were already mortal. Eating from the tree that was going to kill them. They just can't eat from the tree of life. That's now the consequence. There's no possibility now of them being immortal. Okay. So let's go back to Ayaka. Let's go back to where are you? We just finished the holiday of Sukkot. Ayeka. Where are you? Look at the word on the screen. Those of you who read Hebrew. Even if you don't read Hebrew. You see this word? Right? Aleph, Yud, Kaf, He. Ayeka. Where are you? Okay. Remember how that looks. So we have our verse as your first source. So Rashi, of course, is always going to try to help us out because there has to already be a question. What does God mean by Ayeka? Ayeka cannot be just where are you, right? Because we all know that God is all knowing. Of course, God knows what God needs GPS. God knows where Adam is. So Rashi's going to try to help us out because any intelligent reader has that question. Why does God ask Ayeka? That makes no sense. Again, unless you're parents of, of children. What's going on down there? Okay. Where art thou? Lovely transition. (laughs) He, God, knew where he was, Adam, but he, God, asked this in order to open up a conversation with him that he should not become confused in his reply. If he were pronounced punishment against him all of a sudden. Similarly, in the case of Cain, what does God say to Cain? God, God says, where's Hevel? Your brother. God's not asking a GPS question. God is not asking where's Abel because God doesn't know. God is starting a conversation with Cain to see what Cain will do. Right? (laughs) And also with Balaam. Who are these folk that you brought with you? God knows who they are. God is opening up a conversation. Sporno says, Echa. Where, Ayeka, where are you? Why do you not show yourself openly as before? Meaning, why are you hiding? Right? And why would God start with this quote, with this business of having a conversation and asking a question? It is the way, says the Bechor Shor, of the Holy One to speak like people to other people. So God's not going to come in guns a-blazing. Right? God is going to have... 
God is going to have manners. And God is going to speak to the human beings as human beings speak to each other. So God tries to open a dialogue, right? Rather than come in and be God and say, here's what's going to happen. I know what's happened down here. And I know who did it. I know who did it. And here's what's going to happen as a consequence. The horse says, no, God's going to come talk to them like people and is going to open a dial. Right. This one doesn't have an English translation. So the Gor Aryeh says that God, may God be blessed. Source number five. Is doing this as a favor to Adam. That he shouldn't fail. Adam shouldn't fail. To return. And he might say, I sinned. The Yashuv be tshuva, and he would do tshuva. God is making an opening by asking questions that God already knows the answer to. God is giving Adam another chance, lechastiv, to return, to repent, and to say chatati, I sent. And maybe the Horshor, uh, the Gor Ari is suggesting maybe then he could have hung out in the garden. And they could have eaten from the tree of immortality if they were given a second chance. But of course, right? That's not what happened. Okay. And that's why God begins with Adam in words. Okay. The Malbim says, where are you? That is, to Bert's point, where are you spiritually? See how you have fallen. God is not asking Adam a question. God is saying, check yourself. Check yourself. Because you have fallen from the incredibly beautiful thing I I created when I created you. What's your madre God? What's your, literally your step, right? We talk about spiritual steps and levels. Check your level. It's lower than when I created you. And God said to him, where are you? The meaning is, why do you hide yourself and do not appear before me? Adam replied that he was afraid because he considered himself naked. And it is forbidden to stand naked in front of a Torah scroll. How much more unseemly to appear before God's self in such a state. If you can't stand naked in front of a Torah, which you're not allowed to do. How much more so not to stand before the Holy One of Blessing? Right? Being naked is, is making yourself vulnerable in front of God. So it sounds like it's a good thing. But it's not appropriate. I mean, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's that this is written by people who don't appear in public naked. Right? It's, it, we, we forget that. It's written by people who think it's not appropriate in every circumstance, in most circumstances. It's only appropriate in one circumstance to be naked but in front of somebody. And that is your intimate other. It is a special thing reserved for a very special set of behaviors that is expressive of intimacy with another human being, not God. He talks about being naked in front of the Torah before they've even received the Torah. Of course. <laughs> like, what is the problem? <laughs> Susan Kenneth Pine, what is the problem? <laughs> of course. I find it interesting what Adam didn't say. Which is? What Moses said. 
what, what Abraham said and then Moses. He didn't say Hineni. He didn't respond and say, here I am, which in the evolution of the Jewish relationship to God, Abraham and then Moses, and I think beyond that, others said when God calls, they say, here I am. This is why he didn't say that. This is why Abraham is the founder of the nation, right? right? Because he's the first to say, Hineni, I'm ready. Send me. Tell me. What? What? All right. So they could not have referred to actual nudity because it's reported that they sewed together fig leaves that served as clothing. So it's saying something else. It's not talking about actual nudity. All right. Hi, McDevar says, and he called. Every and he called in Torah is an expression of love, which I just find a really interesting commentary. And it is found explicitly in Vayikra Rabbah, chapter 1-9, and he called to Moshe. And is it not also written about Adam and Adonai Elohim called to Adam? It is clear from this that the Holy One, blessed be God, did not punish Adam as someone volitional and transgressing contemptuously. For behold, God knew that it was on account of the woman. <laughs> you have to love male commentators, right? So it is from this. Can you use that as an excuse? From this, right. It is from this. I know I, I had to suspend my own feminist reading. But if you just take out woman and said it was on account of responding to somebody else's influence, then I can stomach this. That. It is for this reason that God did not punish him with death on the day that God, that, you know, that God said, don't mess with me, but rather judged him as someone who sinned inadvertently. And that which God said to him until you return to the ground, he did not say it as a punishment as behold, even without a punishment, man returns to the dirt by nature. What did I just do? How could it have been inadvertent if God had told him not to do it? Because he was swayed by Eve. Uh, he didn't set out to sin. He got, was clouded. his mind was clouded under the influence of Chava. Uh, so he was under the influence of. Because, you know, that's why women have to cover up mm-hmm. in orthodoxy because. <laughs> so powerful. We are too tempting. So this is a typical orthodox responsa, right? That says, well, not responsa, but a response that says, right? Well, she was so convincing <laughs> that he can't be held responsible really this is why we have to wear long sleeves right because and cover our hair because otherwise you men george <laughs> cannot be held responsible for what you will do lose control you will just lose control All right here's where here's why this is actually the commentary that made me focus on this verse and bring you this sheet and put together the sheet. This is the commentary that I read. The Adonai Elohim called to the man and said to him, where are you? The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Ayeka. How? Eh. Have you become like this? Yesterday you were loyal to my will, but now to the will of the serpent. Yesterday you extended from one end of the world to the other end, but now you can fit among the trees of the garden. Like you're small enough to hide. In a tree, you were expansive and huge. You were colossal yesterday. Now you're small. Rabbi Abahu said in the name of Rabbi Hanina, but they were like men, Adam, who violated the covenant, a verse from Hosea. They were like Adam, the first man. 
whom I put in the Garden of Eden and commanded him, but he violated the command and I send, sentenced him to banishment and expulsion. And I, I what? I lamented over Adam. What holiday we just come out of Bert? Sukkot. What do we read on Sukkot? Book of Lamentations. Aleph, Yud, Kaf, Hey, Echa. How could this happen? Echa. Not Ayeka. Now where are you? Echa. Oh, but you have become this. How could this gorgeous creature Partly me, partly dirt. In its glory, in our union, in our relationship. How could you have become this? That is what God means when God turns to Adam and says, not Ayeka, but Echa. How? How did this happen? How must God lament? Not Knowing this could happen? Oh no. Did even God not see it as a possibility that we could sink in sin to the place we have sunk as human beings and what we are capable of doing to each other? God is in mourning. God here, Echa, is lamenting what Adam has become. That is all all of us are doing right now. Lamenting that human beings are capable of what it appears they are capable of. The Shmonak Vatsim says Adam sinned. What does that mean? He was alienated from his essence. He turned to the consciousness of the serpent and lost himself. He did not know how to give a clear answer to the question. Where are you? Because he did not know himself. Because he had lost his true I with his sin of bowing to a strange God. It ran after foreign gods, it says in the book of Deuteronomy. It abandoned its essential I. What does Bluber talk about? I thou. I thou. No one could do to a thou what has been done in Israel. Nobody could do that to a thou. You can only do that to an it. I, it. That is the only way. That is the only relationship that would make possible what we have seen. And we lose an essential part of our I, says the Shmonak Vatsim, when we do that. Where are you? Meaning, where's your relationship to I? The real human being. Where, where are you? Meaning, where's your eye? And what have you given yourself over to? This is like from 1500 years ago, right? These A long time ago. Three, four hundred. Rabbi Akiva Tatz says, the question which God asks the man, did you eat, is an expression of the distance which has come between man and his creator as a result of man's transgression. Meaning, Why is God even asking a question? Well, even if we take it as a spiritual question, look at yourself. What's happened to you? Why does God even have to ask? Because there's now a distance. We were intimate with God before. That's how it was created. 
we created distance. And I don't know, for me, I don't think it's necessarily about sin. I think it's about when we move off of that relationship being primary, us to the divinity within and beyond and in every other human, when we transgress against that relationship, we create a distance. And that distance is the only thing that can result in the horrors that we have witnessed. Adam has become so blind to reality. I would say the reality of the unity of all life, of all things. So confused that he tells himself that he can hide from the one who sees all. Only moments before he was in direct communication with his creator. Has he forgotten with whom he is dealing, capital W? No. He knows God, and that is precisely why he's hiding. But he has entered the world of illusion, and in his guilt and shame before the master of the world, he somehow thinks he can hide from him. My translation, we have entered the world of separation and illusion, and that is the only way we think we can hide from the consequences, that we can somehow shield ourselves. I, and I don't mean just this situation. I mean, humanity in general is under the illusion that we are separate and that we can somehow hide from what we've wrought in this world. Linda? So the, the question is not only where are you, but who are you? Who are you? Good. I think all of those are in the Ayeka question. And now I'm convinced that it's not an accident that it's where and not who, because it's Echa. You can't do that if you say, who are you? You can only do it if you say, where are you? Ayeka. That take a... In, in this book, in this scroll, there are no vowels. It's just the same letters. Aleph, Yud, Kaf, Hey. Do you want to read it Ayeka or do you want to read it Echa? How? How has this happened? Adam has lost his clarity in moving away from the creator. He has lost his vision and he has lost contact with the source of reality. But the consequence is much more bitter. God conducts God's self in the same way. Now that Adam is hiding, pathetic and ridiculous as that may be, God plays by the rules that Adam has set up. Where are you? As if to say that the master of the universe can't see him. Did you eat? As if the master of the universe doesn't know. Mm -hmm. God is saying in these questions to Adam, we now have a different kind of relationship because you have changed the game. You changed reality by alienating yourself from the source of all, from the unity of all, from the divinity in everything. Doubt has entered the world. Perhaps it is possible to hide. Perhaps God does not see. Perhaps God does not know that man has transgressed. A gap has opened between God and God's creation. The gap the chasm of doubt. And the name of that gap, the name of that doubt is Amalek. The source of Amalek has entered the world. Haman has been born. When the Jewish people 
understand hate in its purest, cruelest form, we speak of Amalek, who cut down the sick and the weak and the old when Israel were traveling through the desert. Amalek. And from Amalek descends Haman, who wanted and almost obliterated the Jewish people. Haman has been born. Hamas has been unleashed. In the gap that's opened up, Haman has been born. Safek, doubt. In Gematria, and you know I don't usually go there, Amalek in Gematria is 240. Safek, doubt, is 240. All things holy are certain and absolute. Amalek is doubt, baseless, irrational doubt that cools the fervor of holiness with nothing more than a cynical shrug. How could that kind of hate, sinat chinam, baseless hate, be counteracted? When questioned why he loved Jews distant from the ideals of Torah, Rav Kook would respond, better I should err on the side of baseless love than I should err on the side of baseless hatred. Rav Cook gave some practical advice on how to achieve this love called Ahavat Chinam. According to rabbinic tradition, what brought down the second temple was Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred between Jews. That's what weakened, and we know this from history, so it weakened Jerusalem to the place that it fell. So he's talking about Ahavat Chinam, baseless love, unearned love. Love for people does not start from the heart he taught, but from the head. To truly love and understand people individually as well as a group requires a wisdom that is both insightful and multifaceted. This intellectual inquiry is an important discipline of what we do here, of Torah study. This is one of the ways we counteract faceless hatred, is to engage in holy study. Study that is about trying to address the ills of humanity and the ills and the horrors that we visit upon each other. Loving others does not mean indifference to baseness and moral decline. Our goal is to awaken knowledge and morality, integrity and refinement. This is not Susie cream cheese, candy coated. Do you ever get that on someone's voicemail? I, I like so often have been this close. Read a beautiful day. This is not candy coated. Junk food, spirituality, it does not mean indifference to baseness and moral decline. We don't say it doesn't exist. We don't say it's not a real problem, that it's a real threat to every one of us. Because I don't know about y'all, but there's some stuff living in me right now that I am not terribly proud of. Our goal is not to hide from it. Our goal is to awaken knowledge and morality, integrity and refinement. If we take note of others' positive traits, we will come to love them with an inner affection, meaning if we can just pay attention and try to pick out what's good about people, eventually we might come right to feel true affection for them. It doesn't start from loving them. It doesn't start from being completely loving human beings open to every gorgeous unicorn in the universe. It doesn't start like that. It starts with work. It starts with decisions. I'm going to find something good about this person. I'm not asking us to do that right now about everybody. I'm not saying that, right? But I'm saying, how do we cultivate love? We have to make a decision. 
to do that. And then practices that help us do that. And if we can learn to find good things in each other, then maybe we will come to a place of real affection, right? How many people are haters of gay people until someone and their family comes out, right? Like all of us, wait, I have to rethink, if I find, if, if I find something redeeming in you, I have to rethink a bunch of other stuff maybe. The evidence demonstrates that the myth is about growing out of the childhood world of the garden, adolescence, early adulthood. This is for you, Mark and George and Richard Siegel. About growing out of childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, and into the adult world that Adonai Elohim created to be populated and cultivated by mature human beings. It is about finding identity, which does not come from within the individual alone, but within the context of the community, including the earth and animals. It is about coming to grips with the inherent oppositional forces of life created by God in the beginning and about coping with death as a natural and essential part of life. It is about maturation. When does the point of a human being need um, assuming responsibility for his, his action? Say it again. Does Judaism talk about a point in which the human being becomes responsible? Does Judaism talk about when the human being finally becomes responsible? Oh, uh, when they're supposed to be responsible? So I think there's two different things. One, we have not achieved becoming responsible. We have not achieved that as a species. Read Sapiens. Right? What is the future of Homo sapiens sapiens? We are evolving. To what is the question? There is no doubt we are evolving. We are continuing to evolve. Into what? So we haven't taken responsibility. We haven't learned that yet. The age of the ability to acknowledge Knowing that you should do something and you don't, knowing that young people don't know everything yet, they're going to learn from experience, is 13. That's why we have bar and bat mitzvah. You are not a daughter or son of the commandments until the age where you know or are expected to know because you've been taught that you don't pull Susie's braid just because you want to. You don't eat that. You don't drive on Shabbos. Like you're... You you, ha- you have to, no child can be held accountable because children are children. And our last source from Rabbi Arthur Green from the book Radical Judaism. The creative force within being calls out, where are you? To every human being. Surely a call that is not in words and comes from a place deeper than language. I have chosen to read this as the call of God from within. The animating spirit of the whole great evolutionary journey calling out to every human to participate fully in it, each in our distinctive way. Chazak, chazak, vanit chazak. May we remain strong and we do that together. That's how we remain strong, is to be together. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.